welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue our study in the book of Jeremiah with chapter 18. The word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh, Arise and go to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of Yahweh came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares Yahweh? Behold, like the clay of the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, That is in vain. We will follow our own plans and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore thus says Yahweh, Ask among the nations who has heard the like of this. The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? Do the mountain waters run dry, the cold flowing streams? But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways, in the ancient roads, and to walk into side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror, a thing to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. Then they said, Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us strike with the tongue, and let us not pay attention to any of his words. Hear me, O Yahweh, and listen to the voice of my adversaries. Should good be repaid with evil? Yet they have dug a pit for my life. Remember how I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore deliver up their children to famine. Give them over to the power of the sword. Let their wives become childless and widowed. May their men meet death by pestilence. Their youths be struck down by the sword in battle. May a cry be heard from their houses when you bring the plunderer suddenly upon them. For they have dug a pit to take me and laid snares for my feet. Yet you, O Yahweh, know all their plotting to kill me. Forgive not their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. This is the word of the Lord. We start with what we could essentially call an object lesson. The Lord sends Jeremiah to see a potter doing his work with pottery, uh, working clay on his wheel. So we have many pictures and images of this today. Some of you might have even done this at some point in your life, taking some clay and putting it on the wheel and, and working that, you know, you get the wheel spinning and you work the clay on the wheel and you make your bowl or your cup or your pot or whatever you're making. 
And so Jeremiah witnesses this. He sees the potter working, and he sees the potter make a mistake. The work of clay in his hands is, is no good. And so he simply takes that clay and he starts over. He reworks it. He shapes it into something new. This would be a, a good opportunity to do such a lesson in your own family. If you've got especially younger children, you could get some Play-Doh or something of that kind of material and just work with that and have everybody do it, make something. And then when you're done making it, say, well, what should we do with it now? Um, should we remake it? Should we make something new? Does it have to stay like this forever? Or you could intentionally be like the potter here and make a mistake. Oh no, what have I done? I guess I'll just have to throw it away. Or you could transition into what we see in the text where the potter remakes it. And so you could remake the thing that you had made from before. So that could be a good way to, to show this text to your children and have that family conversation about it. Because what the Lord is going to do is use this very illustration to say the very same thing of his own people, his own creation. He has made them. Are they not his to do with as he pleases? Is essentially the picture of the next paragraph. He made us. He alone gets to choose what becomes of us. It is only by his mercy that we live. It's only a gift that we get to live another day. I believe this is indeed the book. Later on, a few a couple weeks from now, where we will read those words, your mercies are new every morning. So he sets before them the idea, if he speaks to any nation or kingdom, that he plans to destroy it and they repent, he can relent from that disaster that he was planning to do to it. And the opposite is also true. If he speaks to a nation that he's going to build it, create it, establish it, and yet they then abandon him, then he can undo that good. He can tear them down. We see examples of both in Scripture. Probably the most notable of the declaration of destruction uh, that is then relented of is the book of Jonah, that Jonah is to go to Nineveh and proclaim God's destruction. He doesn't want to because he knows God is merciful, as he reveals in chapter 4, the end of the book, and he, he talks about how he didn't want this people to be saved. He wanted to see the destruction come upon them instead because well, they're the enemy of Judah. And so God spares them because they repent. Even when Jonah goes and preaches a pathetic sermon, uh, he, he goes through the land and he, he, he preaches probably the shortest sermon ever told. We've got 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In Hebrew, it's just five words. That's all he says. But the Lord works through the word. It does not go out empty. It always accomplishes that for which he purposes it. And it brought repentance in Nineveh, the capital city of a wicked empire. Even the king tore his clothes and gave an order to everyone to grieve, saying that maybe, maybe God will relent. And he did. But the opposite, verse, I guess it starts at what, verse 9, if he declares that he's going to build and plant a kingdom and it does evil, that would be Judah themselves, that the Lord is the one who has planted them, built them up as a kingdom, and they have rejected him. And so now he is going to reject the good that he was doing. He will relent of that good, and instead he will bring destruction. So that's what comes in verse 11. I am shaping disaster against you. I'm devising a plan against you. And then he offers them again the opportunity to repent. Return everyone from his evil way. Amend your ways. 
He knows that they won't, but he offers the opportunity anyway. Now, the the paragraph here, verses 5 through 11, might concern some Christians as they hear it, making it sound as though God doesn't actually know or God changes his mind. It's kind of the opposite picture. Think about Genesis chapter 3, Adam sins, and he's hiding, and God comes looking for him and calls out, where are you? It's not that God didn't know, but that God was giving his creation an opportunity to take accountability, responsibility for his sins. It's a similar thing in these situations, too. We can't always say how the Lord is working, but the Lord knows. We know this much. The Lord knows all things. So he knows that that sinful nation will repent. So he sends repent- the offering of repentance to them, well, or the declaration of judgment to them, to bring about that repentance. But on the other side, he also knows when a nation will turn away from him. And he still offers a word to them as well. Because his word can bring about repentance, or his word may bring about hardening and just further proof of the the righteousness of his judgment upon them. God knows these things already. But he, he involves the people. He involves his creation. He involves the work of his hands. Verse 12. They, they speak, but it's very clearly the words of God still being spoken because they would not say this, this full statement themselves. That is in vain. They might say that. It's worthless to follow Yahweh. They could say something like that. Not true, but they seem to believe it. They say follow false gods. So instead, we will follow our own plans. Again, I think they'd say that. It's this last part that they wouldn't say. Everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. That is clearly God speaking for them. Um, As even if they, and they do believe this, they do live this, but they wouldn't say it. They would stop with the first part. They might even say after we will follow our own plans, they might say something like, we'll follow our own hearts. We'll do what we want to do. Um, which is a lesson from the previous chapter as well. So God says, who has heard of anything like this among the nations? Of a, a people rejecting the God who created them. And even though this is a false statement in a way, like their their other nations' gods are false. None of those other nations' gods actually created them. And yet those other nations, they remain faithful to their gods. False as they may be, ridiculous as some of them may be, but they remain faithful to them nonetheless, but not Judah. They've done a very horrible thing. They've abandoned the God who created them. He then asks a couple of rhetorical questions in verse 14 that kind of showed the consistency of nature. Does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian crag as a rock formation? And so Syrian is a mountain. Some consider it to be Mount Herman in the north, um, snow-covered, right? You think of uh, a mountain range that the very tops of it are covered in snow year-round. That's the picture of this question. Does the snow leave? No, it doesn't. Or do the the mountain waters run dry? So you think of the, the mountain stream. The stream keeps flowing all the time. These things don't change, and yet God's people did. They have abandoned him. They have forgotten him. And instead, they have gone after other gods. So, they have stumbled. A highway, by the way, here is not a reference to, like, Interstate 70 
or something like that, as we would think of a highway in our own society in today's world, but a way that is frequently traveled and thus easy to travel. It's not overgrown by weeds or thickets or anything like that. It's just an easy path. And so instead, their land has become a horror. They're hissed at. People shake their heads as they go by. Those are references to being mocked by others. It's like if you went by a just such a, I don't know, a gross display of something, whether it's a, a billboard as you drive by on on our highways, or if it's a, a home in your neighborhood that is just completely and totally run down and ruined. Maybe it's abandoned, maybe not. Those are the kinds of things that we might shake our heads at. Like, what are they doing? Why did, why are they, why did they believe this? Or, or why did they let this go to such waste? And we would shake our heads. Kind of a sign of disgust. This is what they do when they walk by Jesus on the cross. By the way, they wag their heads at him. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy, so they're blown away, and they run for the hills. They will be carried into exile, ultimately. I will show them my back, not my face, in the day of their calamity. So when the battle comes, when Babylon comes upon them, this is not a a literal depiction of God. They won't see his back that day. But the idea is, if they see his back, it's because he's leaving them. Whereas if they saw his front, it was because he's coming to them, to rescue, to redeem so he's leaving. He's not coming. He won't, he won't help. Verse 18, Jeremiah reports the words of these, these other men, the men of Judah and Jerusalem, how they plot against him. They say the, the law shall not perish from the priest, the counsel from the wise, the word from the prophet. These things are all false. These things are all the lies that we've seen a few times throughout the book, that the priest is not actually serving Yahweh. He's administering uh, the, the worship of false gods, that the, the prophets aren't speaking God's word. They're speaking lies to the people. Um, so these things are going to go on as they are, is kind of the picture. So don't listen to Jeremiah. Let's get rid of Jeremiah so that we can keep on keeping on. Let us strike him with the tongue. They're going to seek to do more than just strike him with the tongue. Chapter 20, coming up very soon, we'll start to see this. And it goes back to chapter 11, verse 19, where Jeremiah, for the first time, recognizes that they are plotting to do evil things to him. So Jeremiah prays. He prays against his adversaries. And a lot of this prayer I don't think we need to cover. It's pretty straightforward. He prays that they be destroyed. That's the part I think we need to cover. Can we pray such things against our enemies, our adversaries? And I would suggest to you, yes. Not just because of this text of Jeremiah, but because there are many Psalms that do this very thing. And the Psalms are the Old Testament people of God's hymnal. And we can join in with those songs. The Psalms are songs. Uh, They're hymns. So we can join in with those. And we can sing them with them. We can pray them with the saints who have gone before us. And this is okay. I mean, even Revel- Romans chapter 12, which talks about how we should treat our enemies, and we're not to take vengeance, we're not to seek revenge, but to leave that to the Lord. Romans 12 ends up saying, if your neighbor, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you are heaping burning coals upon his head. You want to get back at your enemy? Give him some food. 
Feed him, take care of him, love him, because in so doing you are showing him Christ. And if he still refuses to repent, if he still refuses to be your, at that point, your brother, because he would be a Christian if he repents, if he refuses that, he is going to hell. And you are you are driving a wedge, right? As you, oh, what would it be like? Somebody sitting on the edge of one of those... Uh, exercise balls. They're going to fall off one way or the other. Or uh, I guess if you hopped up onto a, a balance beam or something, you're going to fall off one way or the other. It's almost like that. That is, you serve your neighbors, you serve your enemy, they're going to fall one way or the other. They're either going to see Christ's mercy and the Holy Spirit will work faith in them, or they're going to harden their heart and go the opposite way. And that is our role. Share Christ and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. So this is not a wrong prayer from the prophet Jeremiah. It's just a prayer that unnerves us because of the way that we've grown up and the society that we've grown up, both culturally and as a church. So before that, he says, Hear me, Yahweh. So he prays to God, wants God to hear and answer him. Listen to the voice of my adversaries. So he points out the plots that are being made against him. Should good be repaid with evil? So he points out good is the idea that he has gone to them, he has spoken God's word to them, and they are now repaying him for speaking God's word, not with thanksgiving and repentance, but by trying to kill him. That's the picture here. That's the evil that they are doing. They have dug a pit for my life. They are trying to destroy him. So remember how I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. So Jeremiah has gone to them on behalf of God as God's representative to speak his word to them for their good, that they would repent and live. And they've rejected it and they've turned against him. This might be a family conversation today. Has anything like that ever happened to you? This is what we're called to do, is to go to all of our neighbors and share Christ with them. And how do our neighbors respond? Sometimes they may respond well. And sometimes it's kind of neutral. Um, that's... Uh, probably going to be less and less, I think, in the culture around us. I think more of the, the neutral responses in the past were probably more ma- more negative than we might have realized. Uh, but culturally, it just wasn't acceptable to hate on Christians in the 1950s and 60s. Not like it is now, or like it may be in the years to come, or like it is in other places in the world. Uh, Christ's word is polarizing. It's a two-edged sword. It divides, just like falling off of that exercise ball or balance beam. Only two ways to go. So this has probably happened to you that you have shared Christ with your neighbor and you've met that that negative response. And again, I think that's going to come more and more as we move forward. So pray to the Lord that he would strengthen you and equip you as he strengthened and equipped Jeremiah to speak his word. We have been given a task, a neighbor to love. So, Lord, you know them. Verse 23, you, Yahweh, know all their plotting to kill me. Forgive not their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. Thankfully, those phrases get reversed. Again, I pointed you a couple of days ago to chapter 31, verse 34, as we learn that the Lord doesn't remember our sins. He's forgiven our sin, and he does not remember our iniquity. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. The hope, kind of central to the entire book of Jeremiah. The hope that we have that God will restore us. And in Christ, we know that this is true.